0: today on Ag News Daily.
1: And if we compare it to the previous five year high, previous five year high was like 55.4 cents under. So we're a good 13, 13 and a half cents stronger than what we were over the previous five years for last week's close.
0: Good afternoon and happy Market Monday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell and I am doing my best to make my voice sound as normal as possible today.
2: Ashton, when you're sick, I think it makes your voice sound kind of like lower, maybe a little manlier, or a little like, oh yeah, you know what I'm saying? I am a little bit
0: offended that you just told me I sound like...
2: Not manly, but like, it just gives your voice an extra little grip. Like, (laughs) I don't know how to describe it. I always kind of like my voice when I'm sick, because it's like kind of a little deeper, a little bit like more to it. I don't know. Maybe
0: I'm just talking in circles here. I'm just burying myself into a hole have you seen the episode of friends where Phoebe gets sick and her voice is all raspy and she thinks she sounds like super cool and sexy whenever she she's Yeah, see, that's what I think that I sound like when I'm sick. Exactly. exactly. Kind of made that connection there, but I unfortunately embarrassed myself. I went to the Chick-fil-A drive-thru earlier because they have really good chicken tortilla soup. So I treated myself for lunch and I went up to talk to the guy and I went to speak and I like, couldn't speak, I had a frog in my throat. I probably sounded absolutely disgusting. I was so embarrassed. It's okay. It happens to the best of us. Yeah, I guess you're right, Delaney, but I am trying to be on the mend at least. It's been almost a week that I have felt bad, but I'm on antibiotics and trying my best to look at some news here so we can talk about that. So why don't you go ahead and kick some things off for us, Delaney?
2: Absolutely, Ashton. I'm going to kick this off with a non piece of news here. But uh, through the weekend, we saw John Deere picketers continue their strike. We saw more than 30 Deere and Company employees waved blue and white UAW on strike signs near the main entrance to the John Deere Davenport facility on Sunday afternoon, while another dozen stood outside the secondary entrance a few hundred feet down the street. And Sunday marks the fourth day of this first major strike against John Deere since, I know you reported this before, since 1986. So, One of the employees was quoted as saying, well, at least it's not cold outside. It's a beautiful day. But really, they are not making a lot of movement here as far as getting something sorted out.
0: And I want to make note here, Delaney, that John Deere isn't the only manufacturer that is having some issues. And so it looks like we're going to see a couple more supply chain issues hit, and really from a global perspective, because CNH Industrial, which of course is an Italian-American equipment manufacturer, announced that this week it's temporarily shutting several of its European manufacturing plants that produce ag equipment. They said that they are cutting off production of commercial vehicles and powertrain facilities. CNH says that it plans to shut down the facilities for eight days in total this month. And they indicated the shutdowns are driven by getting components to build and construct the machines, including semiconductors. So this isn't just a problem that we're seeing here in the US. It looks like over in Europe, we're going to see some issues there as well.
2: Yeah. And CNH is kind of the big company that manufactures Case IH, Steyr, and New Holland Equipment. So those are some of the big three that we use here in the United States when it comes to new equipment, which certainly means it's going to take a little more for your dollar to go a little bit further when buying new or used equipment this year, just because we are seeing so many disruptions to the supply chain, Ash. And I mean, you talk about three, four now major brands in the equipment sector. You talk fertilizer, energy. There are a lot of things kind of lining up to be a perfect storm here for supply chain problems. And analysts and folks are expecting those problems to continue into 2022. I was reading this article on Farm Journal this morning. It's a pretty interesting one. Might be a good one for us to share on social media or in our newsletter this week, Ashton. But In early October, Southern California ports had 90 container ships in the port, 63 of which were waiting off the shore. And in Los Angeles, nearly 500,000 20-foot shipping containers were in waiting mode just because they needed somewhere to go. And so, you know, as we've continued to talk about this, I know we're talking transportation later on in the week. But like I said, we're kind of lining up here for a perfect bad storm in agriculture to have all of these little supply chain issues happening all at the same time.
0: And I'm really hoping that this isn't a trend that we're, I mean, I say this, but you, you know, just said that we're likely to see this go into 2022, but I just hope that this isn't a trend that we have to continue to deal with. I mean, we've been dealing with supply chain issues. It seems like for quite some time now, and it doesn't look like there is really a Mm -hmm. close end in sight. So it does make me a little bit fearful, but I know that our ag producers are resilient creatures. Yes, they are. That's true that uh, it does turn out to be a good year. But on the other hand, Delaney, it looks like it is at least a good quarter for Chinese pork producers. In some data that was released earlier today, it said that China's third quarter pork production surged to its highest in three years Pork output for July through September was 12.02 million tons, which is up 43% compared to last year. China's pork output was up 38% in the first three quarters of 2021 versus 2020. So it looks like our pork producers over in China are starting to build up a little bit from African swine fever. That's, of course, the discussion that we've been having or trying to look a little bit more into. They say that they have built up so much and they had built all of these large breeding farms last year to rebuild their hog herd. And it looks like it might be paying off.
2: It does. And I'm glad you brought that up, that piece of news up, Ashton, because as we're continuing to kind of hear rumors and trickles of the U.S.-China negotiations, that's a big component of that relationship moving forward, especially from a soybean, soybean meal perspective is do we have... Product to ship to China's growing hog herd. And it certainly sounds like that is the case. But another interesting piece of news here, as you talk about U.S. China relationships that could play out as we are continuing to hear what's going on on that front China's economy grew at about a 4.9% pace year over year here in the third quarter. But that did come in slightly below expectations of a 5.2% growth and well below the 18% growth we saw posted in the first quarter. So really what this is pointing to is that China and their economic recovery is losing some steam as it maintains its zero tolerance policy towards COVID, which certainly can disappoint other world economies, currencies, etc. because China is such a global player. You know, the other thing that we're Continuing to watch here, which is playing into this overall growth of China's or really slowdown of China's economy, is their continued power outages. We've seen a lot of local and regionalized power outages that sound like they're slowly improving, but have not yet been resolved. Thermal coal prices for China have rallied the daily limit up 11% in the first 30 minutes of today's trading session because the government changed its policy last week to allow about 20% increases in electricity prices. And that is certainly pushing higher. You also couple that with energy prices. And that is trickling into the fertilizer market, as we very well know. And I didn't realize this, Ashton, but China accounts for about 39% of global phosphate operating capacity and roughly 32% of the world's exports. So not to point me fingers, but you want to look at one of the main drivers at these continued fertilizer prices. China is a big component of that.
0: Well, Delaney, I am ending things a little bit on a sour note here following with that. And it's concerning Smithfield Foods. They are the target of a new animal rights lawsuit. This lawsuit was filed by the Humane Society of the United States, and they are accusing Smithfield of failing to eliminate gestation crates for sows. According to the Humane Society, the cages used to house the pigs are, quote, barely larger than the animal's own bodies, and they prevent them from turning around, which, if you work in the pork industry, is kind of the purpose of a gestation crate. The Humane Society says that Smithfield never fully eliminated the gestation crates as they said they would back in 2007, and the Humane Society is unhappy that it appears Smithfield only reduced the amount of time it requires pigs to spend inside of them. So I'm going to be following along with this story just because. I am interested to see what Smithfield says. I'm interested to know a little bit more about the thought process that the Humane Society has and really what the courts say about this. Because like I said, if you work in the pork industry, you kind of know how gestation crates are supposed to work. They're there to protect the mother, to protect the offspring. So I'm pretty interested in the development of this story, Delaney.
2: I would be as well, Ashton. Um, but I really don't have any other news for today. So how about we hop over and chat markets? Let's do it. Fantastic. Well, we're chatting with Darren Newsome here coming up in just a moment. But in the meantime, let's take a look at where market prices left us for today. December corn up seven cents today to close at five thirty-two and three quarters. The March up six and a quarter cent to close at five forty and a half. In the soybean pits today, the November contract up three and three quarters cents to close at 1221 and a half. The January up two and three quarters to close at 1229 on the nose. Chicago wheat higher today as well with the December contract adding two and a quarter cent closing the day out at 736 and a quarter of the March. Up two and a quarter cent to close at 748 and three quarters. As we hop our way over into the livestock markets, we saw some weakness today in the cattle complex as the December live cattle contract shed 55 cents to close at 130.42 and a half, the February down 35 to close at 135 even. Peter Gattle, lower today as well as I mentioned there with the November contract shedding 207, ending the day at 159.35. The January down $1.97 and a half to close the day out at 159.55. Lean hogs had some strength today as the December contract added 47 cents to close at 78.75 the February up 45 cents to close the day out at 81.77 and a half and lastly wrapping things up here of course with the class three dairy milk futures November down 11 cents today to close at 19.17 the Dece up two cents to close at 18.78 Ashton without further ado let's kick it over to our conversation with Darren Newsome. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Market Monday here today with Darren Newsome of Darren Newsome Analysis. And Darren, you probably wish we would have had you on the podcast last week because (laughs) the bears were winning in the marketplace today. It seems the bulls have been winning, but I've got to ask, are you still or what are you? I shouldn't even pose it in a certain direction. I'm just going to ask you, what are you thinking about these corn and soybean markets here long term? Are you bullish or bearish?
1: That's interesting. You should ask Delaney and. You know is what I wrote about uh from my latest column because the question I get asked so much so often here would I own corn and soybeans in here mm-hmm. yes uh, we've we've gotten through the made up fictitious you know i will leave it at that uh mm-hmm. stocks numbers uh that seem to game the system for a couple of days. But the reality is the fundamentals haven't changed. And if we're looking at owning or investing uh, you know, in, in commodities, what we want to look for is some bullish long-term fundamentals. Corn certainly has that. Mm-hmm. Soybeans, if we look at the basis, still very strong, even with harvest going on and folks selling beans and holding corn. So yeah, I think, I think both markets have some upside potential here over the course of the fall and the winter.
2: Darren, I was reading an article the other day, I don't remember where I found it, talking about soybean crush as being the biggest driver, basically, of soybean prices and with smaller crush numbers that we saw on the NOPA report with... You know the overall marketplace maybe having less demand for soy oil. They were saying that really there aren't a lot of bullish fundamentals at least at this point in time for the soybean market. Do you agree with that? Tell us a little bit more because I feel like you're the perfect yeah. person to have this conversation with.
1: Yeah, the folks who are saying that are just—I don't know how to put this nicely—just completely wrong. Uh, I mean, they, they don't really understand what's going on. If you look at the most bullish markets out there, three three of the five most bullish markets are are soybean oil canola and Malaysian palm oil. There is incredible demand for oil and oil seeds right now. And crush is strong. Soybean oil has a strong inverse in its forward curve. That's not going away. It's not saying crush demand is down. September was a slow month. Okay. But overall, crush demand still remains strong. Demand for the oil, for soybean oil, for for canola oil, for Malaysian palm oil remains strong. It's not going away, and so yeah, I think that's going to continue to provide support. I think that's one of the fundamental reasons that we can that that soybeans are still showing a strong basis level right here, uh, even though its future spreads aren't as bullish. But it's what's providing support to the soybean market. And eventually the whole thing will turn up again.
2: Talk to me a little bit more about basis levels, Darren. Let's mm-hmm. talk soybeans here first, then we can check corn. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You know, if we look at the national average basis, which is what I like to do, I think uh, last Friday, looking at the commodity national soybean basis index, uh, I think it came in like at 42 cents under November futures. And again, this is just national average basis. And it was stronger for the week by I think something like 1.7 cents or, or something along that line. Uh, and if we compare it to the previous five-year high uh, the previous five-year high was like 55.4 cents under. So we're a good 13, 13 and a half cents stronger than what we were over the previous five years for last week's close. So, I mean, show me, that we've got 265 or 256 million bushel stocks, whatever it was, beginning stocks, that we don't have any demand for crush when we've got prices still high historically and basis is 13 cents stronger than it's been here in early harvest or mid harvest than it has been over the last five years. Show me where the supplies are large and demand is weak. And the the folks that are making that argument just simply do not understand markets at all. And they're just basically just following the headlines.
2: And, you know, honestly, I'm surprised that basis has remained this strong because... As you as at least I've talked to farmers, a lot of them are saying that their soybean yields are coming in better than they expected and that there's probably gonna be more soybean crop in the country and maybe less corn crop than we originally thought. What what's really driving these strong basis levels right now? Demand
1: it's it's the demand that so many people say doesn't exist and i mean we've seen the last two weeks we've seen uh, we've seen export demand also kick into high gear uh this week's inspection number was was 80 some million bushels if i recall very impressive week and that was through last thursday so we've got increased demand you've still got you've got increased exports you've still got strong crush You've got folks selling soybeans rather, you know, so that they can hold corn and soybean yields are higher than expected. And the market's staying this strong. Yeah, it's, you know, this, this is coming from someone who likes to look at things realistically <laughs> a lot, you know, and it's hard, I, 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 it, you know, I, I have to laugh now at folks who always called me bearish. They're the ones trying to be bearish this market when there's no reason to be.
2: Okay. Well, we heard it here. We heard it here on the Agnes Lee podcast first. Darren Newsom is not bearish right now. He thinks that the fundamentals are lining themselves up because Darren, as you mentioned earlier on, now's a good time to look at re-ownership strategies. How would you advise producers to go about looking into that?
1: Yeah, it's 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 a bit tricky. I mean, one, you could just hold you could just hold the cash, but I know that's not going to happen because folks are going to hold, folks are going to hold corn and probably sell soybeans. So if they're looking for some re-ownership, it's a little pricey because, you know, we are still, you know, the price is still high. Volatility is still up there a little way. So you can't just go out, you know, and point blank, you know, buy calls back. I mean, that's one strategy. Uh, You can hold cash. You can try to buy some calls or, you know, you, you can look at buying some futures. And when we're doing that, you know, now what we have to play is, okay, how are these spreads going to react? Do we want to own the nearby or do we want to buy the deferred uh, since there is, uh, you know, just a little bit of carry in the market? I would probably lean at, you know, I don't want to own the Nove. there's just not enough time. Uh, but you could certainly look at going out to March, or excuse me, Jan or March contracts Trying to get those bought and running a you know running a stop underneath the recent low uh you know kind of keep a, a, a stop underneath the four week low is what I'd probably do, uh and it 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 could chop you up for a while but I think long term it's going to pay off.
2: Darren, finally, before we move on to corn here, I wanted to ask: We had a nasty week last week in the soybean markets. Do you think the harvest low has been put in here for soybeans?
1: I think I think the harvest law was established yeah and and you know like I said the system was gamed last week uh, I think that was all intentional everyone every anyone who truly understands anything knew that number from the the, the September 30th quarterly stocks number was completely bogus and the only thing that happened was is it was incorporated into uh into the October supply and demand uh, report We've got that out of our system. Uh, so now, so now we go from there again. If folks don't know that number was completely made up, completely fictitious, they do now by listening to this podcast. So, yes, I think the harvest low is in unless something changes now, not USDA related, but something real, something real fundamentals. Like the problems that we saw, the, the you know the, the increased tensions we saw between U.S. and China over the weekend, that's that's a real wild card that could change the fundamentals. But as it sits right now, soybeans low should be in, yes.
2: And what do you make of the U.S.-China relations here, Darren?
1: I think they're dicey at best. Um, I think there was hope that they would improve uh but now you know we're hearing reports or seeing reports i haven't actually seen it but you know you're you're hearing reports that china's flying warplanes over taiwan that the us and canada sent uh, sent warships uh, sent uh, battleships into the straits of taiwan you had uh, some some pretty ugly you know depends on what analyst you listen to some pretty ugly q3 uh GDP numbers come out of of China here over the weekend. So, I mean, there's there's some concern. There's still some trade concern, but at least global trade is moving again. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing that we can look at is U.S. has rejoined the global trade, the global market. That's a positive, but there is still a great deal of tension between the U.S. and China. There's no denying that.
2: Darren, on the corn side of things, have we seen the demand there as well, or is that just a soybean story?
1: I still think we've got good demand. I mean, people are driving like there's no tomorrow. I mean, there's a global energy crisis. Uh, you know, it, it's we're, we're seeing in. in- increased demand, uh, at least short term for, for ethanol. That's that's you know a plus because the, the real fear is that ethanol is just going to go away. Uh, we've got still, we still have good feed demand. You know, it's to me looking at the cattle spreads, we, we've still got a lot of cattle on feed uh, and they have to eat something. And so there's plenty of soybean meal to eat because of the crush that we're doing. And so there's, a, so that means there's also, you know, good demand for corn. And exports are starting to pick up again as well. I mean, they were slowed down. We had some problems at the Gulf uh, with, with hurricanes, which tend to shut things down for a while. But we're starting to see ships moving again. So corn demand is still strong. What I'm hearing from out in the country is, you know, uh, the crushing plants, the, the ethanol plants. You know they're pushing for corn. Uh, local elevators are pushing for corn, and this is, you know, this is at the heart of uh, at harvest. It's just that folks are tucking it away. Yields might be larger in some cases than what they're expecting, and there's there's extra bushels, but they're just hard to come by because nobody really wants to sell. Everybody's anticipating the market moving back up because demand is strong, basis is strong. So yeah, I think demand is still there uh and you know maybe supplies are going to be a little bit larger this year because of because of production but i i still think there's some opportunity for this market to move higher
2: darren when is it going to move higher is it going to just be a normal seasonal post-harvest type of rally or do you think that there's the opportunity to see it alter that pattern this year
1: you know, it's it's probably going to be more seasonal than anything else. And, and corn tends to put in a low in late September uh and then work higher through the winter and into spring. You know, my my concern is, you know, if production is large enough that, you know, corn likes to move sideways more than anything else. You know, I could just go into a long winter's nap here and not do much of anything until we get later into winter. So there is that concern. Everyone's going to be, you know, looking at uh, next year's acreage and planting, uh, you know, the cost, the input cost with fertilizer and chemicals mm-hmm. and so on. So that could certainly change uh, the new crop landscape and, and put even a brighter spotlight on the old crop that sits in the bin over the course of the winter. I'm looking for a seasonal move. Would not be surprised to see this thing just spend a little time going sideways. But I do, think, I do think commercial buying, commercial traders searching for supplies is going to keep a good floor underneath this market.
2: What about the wheat market, Darren? We have seen a lot of excitement, especially in the Minneapolis contract.
1: Yeah, Minneapolis is one of those markets. I listed off the top the top five markets right now fundamentally, and Minneapolis wheat and, and and oats are both right up there. the The drought this this past year I'm not just going to say this past summer, but this past year just took a toll on production. And as I've long said, you know these these futures are nothing more than than weather are, are nothing more than weather derivatives, and we could certainly see that play out in oats and Minneapolis wheat. So you know it very tight supplies inverted future spreads, I think that market's going to stay well supported. Winter wheat, maybe not so much. I'd probably be looking at this as a selling opportunity. Uh, the one asterisk I'll put on that is that merchandisers, particularly up in the northern plains, are going to be looking for some hard red winter supplies to buy to blend in with the tight hard red spring supply, some lower protein hard red winter. So that should keep a floor underneath old crop hard red winter Probably see uh, probably see the Kansas City market pull away from Chicago here over time over the course of the winter. Uh, But that's you know, I'm I'm looking for that to happen as well.
2: But Darren, I got to play a little bit of devil's advocate here, because it feels like Mm -hmm. we've had this discussion before. You know, even if we're having some sort of concern here in the United States, other countries are producing a lot of wheat. So why why are we still continuing to see this thing not fizzle out here? I mean, other countries are producing wheat as normal.
1: Well this this is the point that I like to make you know everybody likes to get all worked up into a lather about oh you know russian production is terrible ukraine production is down there's this there's that we're tight on global wheat supplies oh my goodness oh my goodness but then if we look at the chicago spreads it's bearish the the most heavily traded futures the wheat futures market in the world is showing a bearish supply and demand situation with its d smart spread. What's that tell me? The news is full of... Well, you can fill in the blank from there. Uh, The supply situation isn't as bad as what everyone wants to try to say. Again, they're just too busy not really paying attention to the market before they talk fundamentally, soft red winter is bearish. It's too high priced. And this is why I think hard red winter is going to pull away from soft red winter over time, uh, over the course of the winter. And the only thing really supporting hard red winter is the fact that merchandisers are going to still be needing that blending stock for their hard red spring as they try to stretch out those tight, high protein supplies
2: before we wrap up here, I just wanted to ask uh really quickly on the life cattle market here. We've seen a little bit of a top put in around that 137 in the December contract. Are we aiming to make another leg higher here?
1: You know, it's I've been fundamentally bearish cattle for quite some time, and it continues to go up. So I mean, read that for what it is. <laughs> uh but those spreads that we see the octis the DES, feb feb april and so on with all that with these huge premiums towards the back end Towards the deferred contracts continues to tell me that the that the nearby is is bearish that we've still got too much cattle, uh, too many cattle, too many heads of cattle, and what's happening is producers are seeing those premiums and so they're they're holding their cattle back and so when they hold them back they get heavier and as they get heavier then that naturally keeps a lid on the cash price when when the packers come. Come, come knocking if and when they do. So to me, it's still a problem that the market's going to have. I think the December contract's too high priced. You know, we were hearing reports of 124, 125 cash uh, late last week, right where the October's trading. October, I guess, was actually up closer to 126, probably pull it back down a little bit this week. But that, you know, that leaves, it leaves contracts like Dec, Feb, and April vulnerable to a sell-off, you know, if we ever do see this market roll over a bit, I mean, we've already seen some fund money come out. uh, But if commercials really start to put pressure on these markets, there's there's some room for them to go down.
2: Well, Darren, certainly appreciate your time today. Before I let you go, if folks have questions, want to read your commentary, chat with you a little bit, how can they find you?
1: I appreciate that, Delaney. The easiest way to do it is to go to DarrenNewsom go to the services page, and sign up for a free trial. We've got it. We've uh, we've still got a seven day free trial. Just get in and sign up, and uh, take a look around. See what we talk about. See, uh, you know, see, uh, you know, see what our analysis commentary all has to say, and then uh, and then we can go from there.
2: Fantastic, Darren. Thank you so much for joining us today. Certainly appreciate it.
1: Well, thanks again for having me on, Delaney.
0: again there to Darren for coming on and chatting markets with us. I really enjoy having him on. So I'm excited that we get to have conversations like this every Monday. I am as well, and We'll be having another great conversation just as usual
2: next Monday. But folks, I got to make a quick promo here. If you did not catch our special edition Saturday episode, great content to listen to while you're in the combine this harvest season. You can find us on any podcasting platform. Just search Ag News Daily. Make sure you're hitting subscribe so you get those special edition episodes like that when they do come out. Also, make sure you're following along with us on social media at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Ashton, with that, should we
0: let the people go? Let's let them go.